Today we're talking to Josh Braun about diffusing objections. The dreaded objections, right? If you've been doing sales for a while, you've probably come across prospects saying things like not interested. I don't have time. Send me an email. Call me back in six months. The funny part is it's the same objections almost. There, there are very few industry-specific objections that I've encountered, at least in the work we've done with companies, in the work we're doing now, and then also coming from selling house painting services, something completely unrelated to B2B. All of the objections tend to fall into the same categories, and most of them are really you know, sort of shrug-offs, right? It's The person's not really telling you a reason why. They're giving you a really, really shallow answer. And the problem is that most of the time, the way we're taught to handle objections is to do just that, to handle them. So come up with a rebuttal where we say, well, you know, I most people are most of the times what I do in this case, or we go in and ask a question like, well, wouldn't you want to grow your business? Wouldn't you want to grow your marketing? Wouldn't you want to grow your sales? We ask them these really obvious questions that put the prospect on the, de- on the defense, And what we need to do instead is actually empathize with them. Try to understand where they're coming from. Try to talk to where they're coming from and and just get them to talk and ask questions and and make it easy for them with a very low commitment offer. So instead of trying to sell something to them or get them to say yes to something they really don't want to say yes to, we can almost pattern interrupt and do something the complete opposite of that, and make it okay to say no. Give them an easy way out and allow them to have some of their autonomy. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'm super excited for our guest, which I'll get to here in a second. If you're listening to the podcast for the first time, my name's Jason Bay. I'm the host of Blissful Prospecting. And my goal with this podcast is to help you think outside the script with your prospecting and share proven tactics and strategies to help you land more meetings with your ideal clients. And today we're talking to Josh Braun. So if you haven't heard of Josh, which you likely have if you consume LinkedIn content at least on sales, you've definitely heard of Josh, but he shares a lot of really great content on both prospecting and sales. He's been a VP of sales at multiple companies, he used to work at Basecamp, and he's really just has a what I would call a very contrarian perspective on sales and really coming in more from an empathetic standpoint, which I'm all about. You know, what's the prospect thinking? What's going to make you feel good? as a salesperson. And what he's talking about today is one of his just, you know, one of his best topics that I've seen is diffusing objections. So instead of having these rebuttals with objections where we rebuttal and say things that don't really feel very good or feel very good to the prospect, how can we actually empathize with them? Get a better idea of where they're coming from and hit them with a low commitment offer that they're more likely to take us up on. And he's going to spend an hour talking, and this is an excerpt from a webinar that we did together uh, a couple weeks ago on the Think Outside the Script tour. So if you missed that, we still are right in the middle of it right now. I think we have another 25 or so presentations, but the talks are live, they're free, and it's a chance for you to come in and actually interact and get your questions answered. So you can check that out at tour.blissfulprospecting.com. But we got all kinds of folks like Josh and many others and other quota carrying reps too actually out there in the field doing this. And this is the audio excerpt uh, from the webinar. And I wanted to post it here because the content's just phenomenal. So make sure to check it out in the show notes there, tour.blissfulprospecting.com. And let's get to the interview. I'm really excited for this talk because uh, one of the things that 
I don't think anyone else actually on this tour is talking about is objections. And of course, you know, people run into challenges with this. And I think the common way that people, you know, have been taught to handle objections is to do just that, right? To have rebuttals and things like that. So I'm really excited for Josh today because he's really going to dig into what he said earlier about how to diffuse these objections. Josh um, is one of the first people I came across actually getting into this industry and listening to his podcast. So it's gotten to be really cool getting to know him on a personal level and talking with him. And he works with a lot of different sales teams and helps train them around their messaging, around objections and all kinds of cool stuff. And just a reminder today for the format, if you have a question, make sure to click the Q&A button at the bottom. That's where you can put the questions and we'll try to get to as many as we can. But Josh Braun, good to have you on the tour, man. Good to have you on your tour. We're going to actually start off in a little bit of an unconventional way. In a moment, Jason is going to share a video that's about a minute and 28 seconds long. And as you're watching this video, I want you to think to yourself, why the heck are we sharing this video? <laughs> and what the heck does this have to do with objections? And then we'll ask you guys in the poll. So Jason's going to roll the video. Cool. All right, here we go. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless. And I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop would... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just... Don't... Try to see things my way. All right, so we have, we have some... What are some reasons why you think we're... Jason and I are showing that video. Yeah, hit the chat. Let us know. Why do you think that Josh wanted us to watch the video? <laughs> <laughs> Emotional intelligence. Can't talk about the problem unless you're their friend. Salespeople miss this point. Being likable. Most objections aren't about what's really at issue. Listening. The man is not listening. Old story yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the reason we're showing it is because your default when someone raises an objection is to try to overcome it somehow. And not once in the history of the world has, have you been able to say something to actually change someone's mind in anything. So for instance, if Jason had a different political view than I did, and I tried to overcome that and explain to him why he should believe what I'm believing. 
never ever is Jason going to say, you know, Josh, I never considered that. I changed my mind. I do agree with you. And so when we try to overcome objections. People actually dig their heels in even deeper. Um, it's actually something called the backfire effect. When you tell people how to feel and try to change their minds, it actually has the opposite effect. It's a net negative every single time. And yet that's the default. We think that we can have some magic rebuttal scripts when someone says, I'm already using a vendor to try to convince them why they should listen to us. And the central premise of this talk today is that objections are not things that you should overcome, just like trying to overcome that the woman had a nail on her head. Objections are just things to understand. And something sort of magical happens when people feel heard and understood. They're more open to listening to what you have to say. And so we're going to talk today about an approach that I've been applying to diffusing objections based on the work of Christopher Voss, who is a former hostage negotiator for the FBI turned sales consultant. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about how that approach, what it is, the psychology behind it, and more specifically, how you can start to apply it to diffusing some common sales objections. Dude, I, this is really interesting to me because the, um, you know, when you think about like what you just said around like political views, let's just use that as an example. We don't need to get, obviously get into specifics with it, but there's a certain thing that goes on, I think, where as salespeople, do you think part of it is that when someone says not interested or that your price is too high or whatever, that there's almost like something inside you that triggers like this, like you get defensive almost as the salesperson too, and you almost take it you know, personally or feel that it's almost an attack on like you as an individual. Is this kind of part of the equation too? Yeah, I think it, it goes back to intent. Yeah. When your intent is to overcome you end up saying things and behaving in ways that end up making people feel like you're trying to change their mind and take away their freedom of choice. Yeah. And people don't like it when they feel that their freedom of choice is being taken away. I say to you, Jason, Hey, we could eat anywhere you want, but except for sushi. And you're like, I, I want to go to sushi. That's my number one choice actually. <laughs> There's been a lot of psychological studies on this as well. I know Jason, you're into, into this sort of psychology behind this stuff, but there's a very famous study where they had some people, researchers dressed up as panhandlers and they were asking for money. And then they flipped the script a little bit and they just changed one word. They say, hey, feel free to give me money or not. And the response rates went up by like 30, 40% just by giving people the freedom of choice. And yet when we do objections, they often sound like this. Someone says, I don't want a year, a 12 month contract. And the rep says, but in order to get the most out of our service, we can't do three months. In order for you to really get the most use out of it, it's got to be 12 months so that you actually have adoption. And not once when you say that is the prospect going to say, you know what? I never thought about it that way. You're right. It just never works, but we just don't know any other way. So we just keep doing it that way. Yeah. So there's this element. Well, let's, let's dig into actually just some of the, the basic psychology around this. I really want to establish like why the approach that most of us are using is like literally the exact opposite of what we want to do. Um, this feeling of, needing to be understood. Can you expand on that a little bit? Like, why do we as people really like feeling understood? Why does that feel so good? Yeah, because there's actually a biological reaction that happens in your brain when you feel really hurt. 
And it rarely happens, but if you've ever been around someone who's been genuinely curious about you and is asking you questions that is getting, getting you to expand on things and is generally interested and is able to actually demonstrate that they know how you feel without judging you, there's actually a release of chemical in your brain called oxytocin that actually makes you feel good. And you want more of that. Um, it so rarely happens today. A lot of times people will listen just for their opportunity to talk. Um, that happens a lot of times. And in sales, it's really rampant because the salesperson is always thinking what their next chess move is going to be. And so they're not present. And so part of the thing that you can actually do to start to just practice that, and we'll get into this when we get a little deeper into the material today, is two really simple techniques just to get started. Um, one of them is extremely simple that I thought was actually silly when I first heard it, which is this concept of mirroring. And mirroring is just repeating the last two or three words that someone said with a slight uptone. So for instance, Jason, what are you passionate about? What's something you're, you're passionate about? I'm super passionate about 80s classic rock, specifically Van Halen. Van Halen? Yeah. Eddie Van Halen, customized guitar, finger tapping, all that stuff. Okay, so that's an example there. You notice I said Van Halen with a slight uptone. You, you know what that made me want to do though, Josh? Was like, yeah, Van Halen. It made me want to keep talking about it. Makes you want to keep talking about it. And what it really is signaling is that you're listening mm-hmm. and that you're curious. Um, and so that's a, it's a simple technique that you can actually start to practice in your personal life to just prevent you from saying what normally people would say would be after Jason said that, I'd say, well, well I'm passionate about 70s music. Jason said, I just went to Italy. I'm, well, I just went to Greece. And so to, to make people feel heard, and you notice that Jason kept talking and you saw him lit up a little bit, it, it feels good to be heard. I mean, everyone has a hunger to be heard. And if you have the words and know the methodology to make people feel heard, it will help you have more productive conversations in your work life and in your personal life. So again, this concept of mirroring, um, which gets coupled with another concept called labeling. Yep. Um, and so labeling, it sounds like this. It sounds like, it feels like, it looks like. Let me give you an example of why this is so powerful. It's not repeating back what someone said. When I was chatting with Chris Voss on my podcast, he asked me the same question I asked Jason. He said, what are you passionate about? I said, triathlons. He said, what is it about triathlons? that you're so passionate about. And I said, well, my dad was, you know, 50 when he got into him and he wanted to finish an Ironman and he was training for it. But unfortunately he died of cancer before he had a chance to step up to the start line. And then Chris got kind of quiet and he said this, sounds like you were really close with your dad in what he calls a late night DJ FM voice. And even though I knew what he was doing because I was familiar with the material, he was labeling the emotion that I didn't say. He was reading between the lines. It wasn't repeating back what I was saying. It was reading between the lines and labeling the underlying emotion that I was feeling. And I felt the rush. Again, I could hear it. It's biological. Yeah. I heard that. I listened to that podcast, Josh, and I could hear it in your voice where you're like, yeah, like, <laughs> what? How, whoa. You know, um, this labeling thing is, do you feel like there's a lot of a, cause you're making an assumption, right? But it's a very, very smart assumption. And in the moment there is, is what's going on is I need to just 
almost put myself in the other person's shoes real quick and think about what this person is feeling. Like what's, I know you have some really interesting things around how to practice that too, but is that essentially what you're doing? Yeah, this is, this is the key to it. Trust your gut. Yeah. Right. Trust your, your gut is going to give you the answer. You just have to say it. This happens to me all the time when I'm bumping into prospects, pushing back. Um, sometimes I'll just say, even if I'm feeling that there's something that they're thinking that they're not saying, I'll say something like, sounds like you've got some concerns that you might not be talking about right now. So anytime you got that feeling that someone's got something negative or they're thinking something even positive, your inclination as a salesperson is to suppress it because maybe they won't talk about this thing that I know they're probably think sounds like you think I'm really expensive is to bring it up and label it because labeling negatives diffuses negatives um, every time. Yeah. It's totally crazy because I, in our last conversation, you were talking about this everyday application and we both kind of shared that we practice this a lot in our daily lives. And one of the things that my wife has really pushed me to do, and I learned about some of this stuff just through like therapy and couples therapy, but we'll be watching a movie and then she'll, she'll pause it. She'll be like, what do you think that person's feeling? That person that whose girlfriend just broke up with them and just left, what do you think that person's feeling? And doing that exercise has helped kind of sharpen that. But when I've done this with prospects, even if I don't guess 100% correct, do you find that, because this is what I find, I find that people are actually like still disarmed. They're like, oh, well, no, actually not quite that, but here's actually what's going on. So is it okay to not necessarily know exactly what the person's feeling? Yeah, there's a couple of things that normally will happen. With experience, you'll start to hear some patterns happening with prospects and you'll kind of yeah. know the underlying emotion. Um, your point is a really great one. Even if you miss the mark, they'll kind of correct you. And then you go back right into labeling and, and mirroring a little bit again. Something else that might happen is they might not give you much. When you label, doesn't mean the labeling is not working. It just means you may need to say something like this. It sounds like I may not understand the whole story. It sounds like I might be missing. It sounds like I'm leaving something out here. And that'll typically jumpstart the prospect to keep talking a little bit more. Um, but we could also shift a little bit here and show you how these principles are applied to diffusing some common objections. And so I think the best way to do it is actually, let me just take you through an example of a common objection. And then I'm going to walk you through some of the Voss steps. And we'll stop after each one and we'll kind of break it down. And these steps can be applied to any objection that you have, or even in negotiations, again, in your personal or business life. And you can actually practice these all the time. I mean, I just got into a dispute with someone at an Airbnb that had a 30-day non-refundable policy. I paid three grand, I wasn't happy, and I ended up getting 2,700 bucks back using these exact <laughs> approaches. So these, these approaches can be used in lots of different applications. Let's go through a common one. You know, most of the time, from an outbound perspective, somebody is using something already. Like, no is this, not is this in the context, Josh, of like a cold call or is this in a sales call or? Yeah, it could be, let's say, let's say a cold call. Okay, cool. Maybe like, so the, the, the objection is I'm already using something. We, we have a vendor for that. We already have that covered. 
And your inclination when you hear that might be to say something like, hey, I'm not asking you to take your wallet out right now. Just seeing if you're, you know, seeing another perspective on how we might be able to do this. Or something else I hear all the time is uh, we compliment them by doing this better. And again, these are methods and approaches and statements that are going to cause people to kind of recoil because they can smell your commission breath. They, they kind of know you're trying to push them forward and they're not feeling heard. So let's actually use the Chris Voss approach here and we'll kind of break it down. Um, Jason is going to play the role of the prospect and I'm going to play the role of the salesperson. Now I'm going to be an accountant. We're going to pick something that's so commoditized like a copy machine. I'm going to be an accountant and I'm calling Jason. And of course, Jason has an accountant just like your prospects are solving the job. I'm just going to kind of walk you through this approach. And I've done, I've done my cold call. I've done my pitch. And Jason said, Hey, sounds great, but, but I have an accountant. Yeah. Sounds great, Josh, you know, but dude, we're, we're covering, we got an accountant, we got bookkeepers. We're, we're good to go. Okay. I want to go out of role play now for a second. Again, everybody is already getting the job done the best way they know how, but they may not know what's possible, or they may not know about other opportunities that can help them do something better. That's no matter what you sell. Nobody's sitting around without an accountant. So the first step in this process is one of the hardest ones, which is to pause for just like two or three seconds. Now, why I'm recommending that you pause is to just get your intent straight. And the intent is, here's an objection, and I'm going to pause because that pausing is going to just prevent you from overcoming it. Because your inclination is going to be to want to talk. So you're just going to pause, just like that. And then you're going to use a mirror. And the mirror, most of the time, is going to get the prospect to elaborate a little bit more on what it is that they just said. So we're going to rewind now. Jason's going to say what he said again. And then I'm going to use a mirror. And I want you to pay attention to not just what I'm saying, but how I'm saying it. And then Jason will elaborate a little bit more after I use the mirror. So let's roll it again and action. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good, Josh. I mean, we've had an accountant we've been using for the you know, last 10, 12 years, and we've got a bookkeepers. We're, we're good to go, man. Last 10 years? Yeah, yeah. We've been using them for a long time. Yep. Okay. So now, after he's spoken a little bit more, I'm going to do what's called a label. And a label is going to describe the underlying feeling that Jason has with his accountant. And since he's been using them for 10 to 12 years, I'm going to guess that he's happy with them. Now, when you use this label, I'm going to say, it sounds like you're really happy with who you're using. sounds like you're happy with them. Now, what that question is going to do is it's going to get Jason to think, am I really happy with them? <laughs> or if it's negative, like if you said, it sounds like you're not happy with them, it's going to say, well, am I not happy with them? It's going to start to get into the question a little bit. And it's going to have them open up a little bit more. And oftentimes when you ask this question, sounds like you're happy, the prospect will just say, yeah, we're, we're, we're thrilled, we're out of this moon, or they'll say we're thrilled, but, and they'll, they'll start to say some things that they're, they might not be happy with. Either way, it's going to get them to talk a little bit more, and I might mirror a little bit more, I might label a little bit more, depending on how this goes, before I move into the next step. So let's actually rewind this again. And we're going we're gonna to play it back now through the first two parts, which is the mirroring and the labeling. So Jason's going to start with, got someone already. Hey, we're good, man. Yeah, we've been using someone for the last 10 or 12 years or so. Using someone? 
Uh, yeah, yeah. We have a, an accounting firm here in, in Austin that we've been working with for a little while. So like, yeah, we're, I think we're good to go. Sounds like you're happy with them. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're pretty happy. Yeah, we're pretty happy. Um, I mean, it's been kind of tricky with COVID and stuff in terms of, you know, knowing exactly what we should be doing, <laughs> you know, with PPP and all that stuff, but it's, it's, it's been all right. P- pretty happy. Yeah. I mean, there were a few, you know, instances where, you know, I, they didn't really have good answers for us on, on what we should be doing, but yeah, you know, like I said, I mean, we've been using them for, for, for a while. So. Okay. So let's end, uh, end scene for a second. We're going to jump out of role play for a second. There's a couple, two things that'll happen. Either that'll happen and that happens a lot of times. Maybe they, know, they won't be as forthcoming, but they'll give you a little bit oftentimes, or they'll be not as forthcoming. But either way, what's going to happen is the prospect is going to be heard. And you'll notice what I'm doing is I'm picking up on a couple of the words that Jason said, the most important words. I'm using a mirror. I'm using a slight uptone. I'm using a calm voice, not an amped up voice. And again, my intent here is not to overcome this. It's a perfectly reasonable outcome if Jason decides he doesn't want to continue the conversation right now. Or if he does, I'm okay either way. I believe that in my gut. And that's why my energy feels like it feels. I have an abundance mindset. Jason is way too young to understand this reference, but there's a famous band called 38 Special. Oh, hell yeah, I know 38 Special. <laughs> Hold on loosely. You know? <laughs> yeah, you hang, on, you hang on too tightly, you're going to lose control. Okay. <laughs> yeah. let's, go to the next, let's go to the next part. Can we pause there real quick, Josh? Because yeah. you mentioned something I think that's so important about your intent. And you said that, well, it's perfectly okay if they don't actually need what I'm selling. Like that's an okay outcome too. That's still a win for me to figure that out in a cold call. Yeah, this is the, this is the magic of the approach. It gets you to the truth of every conversation you have with a prospect, which is one of two things. Yes, they are open to sharing a bit more and continuing the conversation. Or no, they are not at this time. Yeah. And when you come in with that intent, you don't sound amped up. Mm -hmm. When you come in with the intent, I'm going to use this approach, this Chris Voss approach to overcome the objection it's not going to work because yeah. you're going to behave in ways that sound like you're trying to overcome the objection. Yeah. I have pure, I have pure intent. Now let's go through this next step. And this is a really key step. Uh, this is called, I've kind of modified this a little bit, uh, a little bit of Chris Foss and a little bit of Josh Braun, but, but here's the, the concept. It's called an accusation audit. And it's a really key concept. Um, accusation audits attempt to know the negative feeling that someone's probably going to have and to bring that up first. Because as we mentioned before in the label, when you bring up a negative, you diffuse the negative. I I had this happen literally three days ago where a client of mine was a little upset about an issue. And I said, it sounds like you think I'm being unfair. Now, when you say something like that, unless you're talking to a complete sociopath, um, it's very difficult for conversations to escalate and to get more amped up. It's almost like saying if if Jason and I were in an argument and I said, sounds like I'm being an asshole, it's going to be very hard for him to say you're right and start kicking me more. Yeah. So this accusation audit 
What I'm going to say is this. So, so Jason just said, hey, we're, we're happy with them, but here's a couple little things and, you know, that we maybe could, could be improved. I'm going to say this to him. Or actually, let's, let's replay it from there. So, Jason, you, you start in with, you know, um, yeah, we're pretty happy with them, a couple little things, but overall, you know, it's pretty good. And action. Yeah, we're pretty happy with them, Josh. Actually, you know, there's a, a few little things I would have wanted a little bit more guidance around with COVID and like PPP and, you know, how to deal with that sort of stuff. But it's been all right, man. And now here's the accusation on it. Jason, you're probably going to think I didn't do my homework on your business. But would you be opposed to seeing if there are opportunities beyond what you have now related to PPE equipment? Yeah. Here's, like another, here's another example of that, right? Would you, you're probably going to think I didn't do my homework. But would you be opposed to seeing if there's opportunities beyond what you have now, if I'm an accountant, to avoid overpaying taxes and insurance premiums? Yeah. Because no small business owner wants to avoid overpaying taxes and insurance premiums. So let's, let's break down this language and talk about the psychology. You're probably going to think, I didn't do my homework. That's probably what they're thinking. You don't know my business, right? But would you be opposed? So Chris, Chris Voss calls this going for no. Jim Camp calls this going for no. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes when we're trying to go for yes, people feel like they're committing and they're in a yes trap. And salespeople have conditioned prospects that when they say yes, they regret it. When we phrase a no-orientated question, you know, would you be opposed to? Is it, would it be a terrible idea? Um, it just feels less like a commitment. Prospects feel more safe. So that's the rationale behind would you be opposed? And then the last phrase, to seeing if there's opportunities beyond what you have now. So everybody wants to be able to be a better version of themselves tomorrow. And then around something, something that they want in terms of reducing or not overpaying taxes and insurance premiums. Fear of loss is much more powerful than fear of gain. So yep. what are these things I might not know about that are potentially causing me to pay more money in taxes and insurance premiums. So again, all together, it sounds like this. You're probably going to think, I didn't do my homework on your business. But would you be opposed to seeing if there are opportunities beyond what you have now to avoid overpaying for your taxes or insurance premiums? Not for now, but just so you have it in your back pocket. And if you say it like that, in a very calm way, and you take out the pressure of now, and I've, I've heard this numerous times on calls that have been recorded, prospects just lower their guards. Yep. Not every time, which, which speaks to Jason's point earlier, which is that's okay too, because we're just getting to the basic truth behind every opportunity, remember, which is the prospect, not you, wants to continue the conversation or they don't. What about, uh, I love this, by the way, the, uh, would you be opposed? I love that, 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 you know, going for no aspect. What about with a prospect, if, if they get called by a vendor and they're already using a vendor and they tell that person they're taking care of is uh, another form of an accusation audit. Could you just be like, Josh, you're probably wondering why it would even make sense to continue talking to me when you're already taken care of. And it sounds like you're super happy. That, that is phenomenal. 
See, that's a great example of one that Jason just felt in his gut and he just felt comfortable saying it. That's one that I didn't think of. That's a, it's another great example because that is probably what the prospect is thinking. And again, when you label it, when you label the negative, a prospect can't say it really, mm-hmm. right? Like if you say to someone, you're probably going to think, how much are you, Josh? You're, you're going to probably think I'm too expensive and it's going to be way out of your budget. It's then very difficult for the prospect to say you're too expensive and we're out of the budget because you <laughs> kind of labeled it. Kind of, <laughs> kind of confuses the negative. So it's, I love that one, Jason. That's a great one. So and especially the way you delivered it. Now I just want to pay attention. This is a Jason's tone there. Did you notice how not desperate it sounded? How it sounded almost self-deprecating and it sounded real casual and not real pushy? Um, that's another key aspect to this as well is that the tone of your voice matters just as much as what you're saying. Yeah. The Okay. I definitely want to ask you about tonality. That was something I, I wrote down. I want to just point out just to everyone too, that this process that you're walking through is not like use these exact magic words and you'll rebuttal every time. It's like, this is a framework where you can use your own words and approach it in your own way and like actually be in the moment with what you're doing. Yeah, and I think that gets you thinking more about, you know, what is this person feeling and how can I use some of these techniques versus what do I need to say next? Because if you're really scripted, how could you not be thinking about what you need to say next if your whole approach relies on saying the specific magic words? I could not agree more. It's, it's more important to understand the psychology and the framework and then make the words your own. And a lot of people ask, well, how do I get good at this? And there's, there's a couple ways. Um, knowing something doesn't make you good at it. Mm-hmm. Like I could know how to play the guitar because I've watched a YouTube video <laughs> but until I actually pick it up and play the guitar with deliberate practice. I'm not going to get better. So yeah. Resource that I rec- highly recommend. Uh, Chris Voss has a masterclass. I think it's $90. It doesn't matter what it costs. Just go get it. And he has in that class drills. Uh, practice routines that'll let you get your reps in. And I do this every day, literally. Um, I've been doing it every day for about a year now Mm -hmm. where I practice getting my reps in any chance I get Um, with my wife in situations. Now I'm staying at a hotel uh, situations that escalate with prospects. And then you can actually role play these exercises that Chris Voss talks about in his class with your colleagues. They're amazing exercises. That's the only way you're going to get better at it like anything, like playing an instrument or swimming or biking or running, you've got to get out and get the reps in. This is where most people fail. I'll ask them, hey, Josh, I know about the Chris Voss technique, but are you actually doing it? And the answer is usually always no. <laughs> and this is a technique that you have to, like any technique, um, you have to practice. you got to get your reps in. I mean, I had this happen yesterday. Uh, it wasn't yesterday, a couple of weeks ago, where a prospect said, hey, we're looking at a bunch of vendors for sales training and coaching. Now, the old me would have started to try to explain why I was different. Yeah. But luckily, because I got my reps in, I was able to ask what Chris Voss calls a a calibrated question, which enables the help of the other person to answer the question and solve the problem. So this is exactly what I said. 
because my value proposition doesn't matter if it doesn't matter to the prospect. So I asked this question. I said, you know, you, you've got John Burroughs, you've got Winning by Design, you've got Richard Harris. What would prompt you to want to bring in a former elementary school teacher to train your reps? <laughs> and what happens when you ask that question is they tell you their value proposition. Mm-hmm. Your, your value proposition more than you telling them, them it, right? And that's what matters more because people change for their reasons, not yours. I mean, calibrated questions, which we probably won't cover in this session, another you know, reason you should take the masterclass, and enables the other, ask the other person's help to solve the problem. And it usually start, you know, how's it gonna work? How can I stay in this apartment if you're gonna switch the AC out and we have to sleep at night and it's 80 degrees? That was, that's something that happened at this Airbnb that I was staying at. And so again, I'm not fighting with the person about why I can't stay in the apartment. I'm asking them to solve the problem. Again, these are techniques that you, you kind of understand them but to actually have them come out of your mouth in real time requires reps. Got to get your practice in. It takes a lot of practice. And you brought up tonality before. Dude, I have, I'm curious what your opinions are. Cause I haven't, I don't know if I've heard you talk about tonality necessarily and stuff that I've at least consumed, but I feel like most of the training out there is so fake in terms of use the doctor tone and like use all this other stuff. And I get the DJ voice and like the, because uh, the other tonality he talks about is like the friendly, you know, the friendly person, right? Which is my go-to tonality. But correct me if I'm wrong. You're not like thinking when you're talking to a person, I'm going to use the DJ voice and talk, like you're really playing into the feeling and like, what is this person feeling? Where are they coming from? And, it, and to me, that kind of naturally drives the tonality in most cases, not all cases, but in most cases. Yeah, you make a good point. So when you're playing the guitar, when you first start, you're putting your, you're looking at your fingers. Where am I going to put them? I got to put them on these frets. I got to play it in this way. And you're really concentrating hard in the beginning. That's the same as thinking, what voice am I going to use? Am I going to use this voice? Am I going to use this? As you start to get more proficient in the technique, you start to be able to improvise. Mm -hmm. And it starts to come more naturally. You're not kind of thinking about it as much. So you're exactly right. You know these things, but they start to become part of who you are as you start to get your reps in. Yeah, that's what I love about this. And I know we've said this a couple of times and hopefully we're not beating a dead horse, but this, if you can adopt this as a way of life, <laughs> um, it's just going to come really natural in a sales conversation. And I think it, I know you talk about this a lot. It'll make the sales conversation more like just interacting with another person. Cause that's all, that's all you're really doing at the end of the day. And I think we objectify prospects. A lot. <laughs> it's like these people that we need to get money from. So we don't even talk to them as people. We talk to them as prospects, right? Yeah. Yeah. And even, even the words we use, you know, we have battle cards. Oh you know, man. We're, we're yeah. overcoming stuff. Yeah. Not 99% of the time prospects lie, you know, so this, this, this kind of feeds into it um, as well. I don't think they lie. I, I think prospects have been conditioned to hold things back because they feel pressured that they're going to be forced to move fa- faster than they want to move forward to. Yeah. It's not safe for them to be honest. If that's going to give you ammunition to then pressure me to do something that I don't want to do in the first place. That's right. Yeah. One thing that we, we talk a lot about this, this is a little off topic, but a lot of times on a cold call, 
someone will say something like, you know, typically when I speak to CFOs, they tell me they have, they have these three problems. Do any of those resonate with you or my way, way off base here? There's a lot of prospects that will think to themselves, if I start to unload, are they gonna use this against me in this cold call to try to get me to like book a meeting? So it's even in the, in the cold calls, people kind of know they're being, what Chris Voss calls being led into like a yes trap. It's mm -hmm. like if you're walking in the mall and a mall kiosk person says, can I ask you a question? You're like, uh-oh, if I say yes to this, am I gonna be spending money on C-Scrub in like five minutes? So it's, it's, it's tricky. Um, I love this. Uh, let's hit the Q&A. There's a couple people. I thought it'd be kind of cool, Josh, if we go through a couple more examples and, and uh, maybe we just kind of do them like in a live sort of thing and then you kind of break them down. Uh, but Ruben asks a really good one. You know, I would love to hear how to deal with the objection. I have sent it to the appropriate person. If they're interested, they will, they will contact you. So maybe you sent an email to this person, you call them up and like, oh yeah, I got the email. I got it. I forwarded it on to the other person and they'll contact you, Josh. Yeah. Let me, let me back up for a second because let's talk about the underlying problem. If that's mm -hmm. happening a lot. So this is the same thing as I'm not interested. I forwarded it to the appropriate person. If this is happening a lot, let's fix the problem. And the problem, if this is happening a lot, is the following. You don't fully understand how that person is getting the job done today mm -hmm. and why it sucks compared to your new way that's new, that they've never heard of before. So off, I want to talk a little bit about this. I know it's a little off topic, but it's super important. Yeah. People have problems all the time. I have a pixel out on the back bedroom TV right now, but I barely watch that TV. And when I do, I barely notice the pixels out. So I'm not going to go buying a new TV because I have limited resources. So do you, so do your prospects. So if the problem isn't intense and big and you're not coming at me with something I've never heard of before, I'm not interested. So the first thing we have to do is what's the big and intense problem, big and intense so that when I bring them something new to the table that they haven't thought of before, it's going to make their ears perk up. Oftentimes when I get people prospecting me or I see reps prospecting, they sound like everyone else and it sounds like nothing different than what I'm using or the problem doesn't sound intense and frequent enough. And therefore you get, I forwarded this to the appropriate person, which typically is I deleted your email, typically. <laughs> so we, this is a big, the biggest problem that is there and it's usually the case of, of where you're getting that a lot of. Now, if that happens to you on the phone and you're, you're in this situation, what you can say, you can't, do, you can't do these techniques really well over email, has to be a synchronous dialogue. Mm -hmm. um, I actually do have a separate session that we do on negotiating over email where it does work actually really well. But for objections, if you call someone and say, I've forwarded this to the appropriate person, um, you can do an accusation on it. You could say something like, um, sounds like what I'm sending you isn't really helpful at this time. Well, no, it's not that, Josh. It's, you know, I, I mean, I didn't really get a chance to look really closely at the email, but we already have a solution, you know, for this. That's, that's, that's really why. Yeah, or, or Beck Holland over at uh, Chorus does something similar um, where she'll say something like, here, go ahead and say, Jason, um, I'm going to forward this to the appropriate person. Yeah, yeah, I got your email, Josh. Uh, I'm definitely going to forward it to the right person and uh, they'll contact you if they're interested, okay? Jason, can I level with you for just a second? Uh, yeah, sure. What? 
a lot of times when people tell me they're going to forward it off to someone, it's just a nice way of saying they're not interested and they want to hang up on me. <laughs> yeah. I've been fired five times this week. You can fire me. Is, is that the case, Jason? <laughs> so you, get, you kind of get the idea. There's the same kind of idea. And to Jason's point earlier, yeah. it doesn't matter what words you use, but the idea of labeling the negative. Uh, Chris yeah. calls it an accusation audit is something that you can use. Someone says, I'm not interested. Again, we talked about you have to fix the problem if you're hearing that a lot. But, but you might want to say, sounds like my pitch really missed the mark. Yeah. It shows a lot of humility to do that as well. And that I'm not this assumptive person that's coming in that doesn't know about your business. It's telling you that you got a lot of problems that you need to fix. And I can save the day. And I'm so awesome because that's how most people approach prospecting. Uh, couldn't agree more. Yep. Most people approach this as things they have to win or progress or overcome. And that's off-putting because the pressure comes from you. Mm-hmm. Pressure and, and also the debilitating, of re, the, the debilitating feeling of rejection comes when you don't get what you want because it's your ego, right? So this approach really, to your point, Jason, is, is kind of letting go of your ego a little bit yeah. and releasing that, that expectation on yourself that this is something you have to overcome right now. And when you yeah. have this abundance mindset and you detach from the outcome, it's so freeing. Yeah. I just wrote a LinkedIn post on that actually around like, you're not in charge. You're not responsible for your prospects emotions. Like if they're angry because you caught them in the middle of something and they, you're just one more person that cold, like you're not responsible for them being angry. Like that's not, that's not your fault. <laughs> you certainly need to deal with it, you know, but it's, 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 that's not you. They're an, they're their own person. They have their own autonomous feelings. Like they're allowed to feel whatever that is that they're feeling. That, that, that's right. It, it kind of gets back to not assuming. Yeah. Not assuming that, especially with outbound, very, very rarely when you do an outbound approach is someone has a hair on fire problem. So not assuming that the problem that you're having is intense and frequent enough priority. Because remember, everyone has limited resources. That's why I don't fix all my TVs. It's why Jason doesn't travel to all the countries in the world, only a few. Your prospects are the same way. They're juggling a lot of things. I had this conversation the other day with a rep. Hey, I know I could help this person. This is a problem. We do it better. I'm like, well, it's, it's a problem, but it's only costing them four hours a month. They may have problems that are costing them 30 hours a month that are more yeah. intense and frequent. So if the pixel is only out and you only watch the TV once a month, it's not that big of a deal. Problems yeah. alone aren't enough. It's only when I'm not able to make progress do I start to scratch my head and think I got to do something about this? Yeah. And to your point from earlier, that's actually another really good opportunity to do, to label or do like an accusation. I'd like, Hey, it sounds like this is not really that big of a problem, Josh. See, see how fast Jason catches on to things, everybody. This is like, <laughs> well, I've been practicing that's this a, stuff too. <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great, that's another great label. That's yeah. Great label. So Ruben, um, Hopefully that helps you out there. Great question. So would you, um, when you look at objections in terms of a cold calling um, aspect, do you lump in not interested? Do you lump that in the same category as I'm busy, not right now, I forwarded it to the right person, I'll get back to you? Are those all kind of generally saying the same thing? Yes. And again, I want to stress this a lot. If you're hearing that a lot, mm-hmm. if you're hearing that 20% of the time, something's broken. So this, these are kind of, ba- we're talking about a Band-Aid here. Yeah. Uh, and this, again, is beyond the scope of this particular webinar. But if you're hearing that a lot, 
your mess, you're, you're not in, if people are saying they're not interested, you're not interesting. What I mean by that is you're not bringing forth a new idea that's going to help them kick more ass relative to how they're doing it today. I'm going to so, link Josh to your jobs to be done. I'm going to throw it in the chat. Um, is that the framework typically that you recommend for finding out these kind of, yeah. yeah Check that in the chat, you guys. Yeah. Link to the, that or the, the guide um, has it in there. Yeah. But that's exactly right. In order for you to, and again, we're getting a little off topic, but in order for you to understand how you help people do things better, if you're a rep, I highly recommend, and no offense to marketing, um, mm -hmm. I highly recommend you just reading case studies, but only for customer quotes about what their life was like before and what they tried. Nobody wakes up one day and decides they want to talk to a salesperson. So listen to inbound calls. What were they trying that didn't work? Yeah. What led them to this point? And what was this new thing? And how did it help them kick more ass? It's yeah. the desired outcome. Because in order for someone to spend $20,000, $30,000, a lot of things have to happen. I went and bought an expensive mattress not too long ago, but it took me a long time. I didn't just wake up one day when my wife said she wanted a new mattress and buy a new one. I'm like, let's flip the thing around. Let me sleep on that side. Let's sleep on the other side. I'll sleep on the top. You said like anything to avoid spending a bunch of money. Yeah. Your prospects are the same way. And job to be done is an approach to help you understand those struggles. And that's, what's going to give you the magic language to be able to create more interesting scripts. If you're getting, I'm not interested, which it could also be your tonality as well. Yeah. But if you're hearing that again, no amount of magical scripts is going to help you fix that. You got to go, you got to step back a few steps. And I, I think in my experience, at least a lot of times when you do this type of approach, prospects really open up. You end up getting little tidbits that are really interesting too, where you're like, oh, I never really thought of including that in my email or my you know, call track. Uh, around this particular thing where people already have a solution and the very first thing they're wondering when I call them is why would I even want to meet with you? That needs to be the very first part of what you say. Um, can we talk about bad examples of labeling? Like, so, so for example, if I cold called someone, I was like, uh, hey, Josh, Josh, it's Jason with Blissful Prospect. You're like, hey, Jason, not interested. A bad example to me would seem like if I was like, not interested, that would be kind of a weird thing to say to the person. So what are, and this will get to your question, Brian Thorne, he's essentially asking the, the same sort of thing around price, but what, what are bad examples of labeling? Yeah. So I want to be very clear. These tools and techniques are not necessarily meant to be used in order. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to always mirror and you don't have to always label first. So you can actually pull some of these out. Obviously if someone says something like, like, like the, the mirroring is, really usually always going to get people to open up. But in this context, it's not a good use of it because it seems like it's like kind of blatantly, obviously just said, I'm not interested. Yeah. So in that situation, again, I want to repeat myself. If you're hearing that a lot, you got to fix the problem. But if you're in the heat of it and someone says that to you, and maybe it's the first time you've ever heard it, you might say, sounds like I really botched this pitch. Sounds like I'm really irrelevant. Sounds like I'm saying something that just you don't care about. I kind of like, sounds like I really botched this pitch. Yeah. So I would use a label. I would use a label in that situation. Yeah. And it, again, that humility, you use a tight, just a tiny bit of self-deprecation where it's not like, Oh, feel bad for me, but it's like, Hey, I must've missed the mark. You know? I really missed the mark this time. Yeah. Love that. So Brian, that should get to your question around 
you know, if someone's talking about price or something like that, which hopefully you're not getting into price you know, type of conversations in a cold call, but that should get to your question. Um, okay. What about this one, Josh? So John Gomez asks, let's say you're doing a cold call essentially, and someone actually recognizes you and your company and maybe you're a big player in the space, but they're like, you know, I just, I don't think it's a good fit for what we're looking for. Okay, Sounds so good though. I, everything's good. Nothing against you, Josh. So say, say that again, Jason, let's do it again. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I definitely have heard of you guys, Josh. Um, actually, big fan of the content and stuff that you put out. But I mean, we just, it's not really a good fit at this time, man. I mean, I appreciate you reaching out, though. Not at this time? So yeah. So, so I'm trying to get a little bit more information. And again, guys, I, I, I'm sensing the reason people are asking these questions, because I've done this enough, is that people are thinking, what do I say to overcome it? Mm-hmm. And again, I want to go back to the beginning of this. This is not to overcome. It, most of the time when you do outbound, people aren't in buy mode. If they were, they'd be contacting you. So it's perfectly reasonable that you haven't hit them at the right time. And so a perfect outcome of this is to get off the phone and to be able to do follow-ups in ways that when it is the right time, they do think of you. If you push too hard and you hang on too tightly, you're going to ruin that chance. Uh, which is why, and again, we're getting way off topic here, which is why when I do a cold call, I don't position my cold calls to set up for a demo. Yeah. For that reason, because most people are not looking for demos. I offer educational information Yep. when I do a cold call because most people are open to learning something useful that they care about, but not if they smell a demo because that's the equivalent of someone saying, can I ask you a question in the mall kiosk? Again, yeah. we're way off topic here, um, but hopefully this provides some context. Well, I think that's really good that you brought that up, though, Josh, because I, I this objection thing, I, you're totally right. It's, I, I mean, people, if you're getting a lot of these, you shouldn't be getting them, and it's really about preventing them, yes. really, more, really more so than anything. So, um, yeah, so if someone says, I don't think it's a good fit, you said... Uh, you said not right now. What did, what did you respond with just now? Because it made me immediately want to actually start talking about why now wasn't a good time. <laughs> it's a mirror. You know, not, not a good time. And then, you know, so, sounds like you got this all covered. And then you can kind of go into the accusation. on it. You're probably mm-hmm. going to think this is a terrible idea because you've got this covered. Yeah. Um, would, you be, would, would it be a terrible idea for you to see if there's opportunities beyond what you have now to – Ensure that you're not overpaying for taxes, not for now, but just so you have it in your back pocket. And then do the hardest thing, which is to not say anything. Yep. And they may say still, but what you'll find a lot of times, um, and I, I've, I've heard hundred, many recordings of this, is they say, I, I, I'll check it out. You'll also hear, no, no, now is not really good. And again, that's okay too, because again, the purpose of this isn't to overcome, it's to get to more truth. Yeah. And remember, there's only two truths. Yes, the prospect is interested in telling you a little bit more and continuing the, the conversation, or no, the prospect isn't. Because you can't create the problems, you can only align with them. Yeah. Here's your sound clip for your YouTube video, Jason. You cannot create the problems and the motivation, you can only align with it. Yeah. You have to be okay with that, 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 that response and not to push. Well, and then the biggest indicator, and I've 
you know, I just, I've talked about Split the Difference a lot, but I just actually finished reading it last week. So I've listened to him on podcasts like yours and John Barrows and people like that. But the biggest thing that I've been paying attention to when I make these calls or on sales calls, especially is that's right versus you're right. And it's like, I almost get like a little endorphin rush now when someone says that's right, because I'm like, oh, okay, they're like, I, I'm somewhat in the ballpark and have accurately, somewhat accurately described what they're feeling. But you, if you really listen to the tone when someone says that's right, it's, they almost kind of smile a little bit because they're like, yeah, that's, that's right. You know, and that's exactly what you're looking for. So that's an indicator that you can use to see if you're on base or not. Uh, John, great question. Uh, I think we got time for maybe one or two more, Josh. I think this is a really good one that Janice Booth asked. Have you ever just gone blank before? And I think to expand on that, <laughs> what do you do if you're just like at a loss of words of what to say? Or do you always want to have this mirroring thing in your back pocket? Because sometimes I freeze up. If I'm calling a VP of sales at a big company I want to work with, I'll get nervous you know, and kind of forget like what I'm going to say. Cause I'm like just nervous and my heart is racing or whatever. Any tips, advice, anything around that? Yeah. A couple of, couple things. Um, the mirroring and the labeling is always a good default, but if you stuck, do Cheryl Crow did. So, Oh my God. Several years ago, <laughs> Cheryl Crow was performing at a concert in Tampa, Florida, and she was singing one of her most iconic songs, soak up the sun. Yeah. And she forgot the lyrics and she said, Hey, this is what happens when you turn 50, you forget the lyrics. And the crowd immediately kind of got on her side. Yeah. She's kind of being vulnerable here. So if you forget something and you're talking to somebody VP, who's by the way, just a person who's watching Netflix, just like you are, but that's another conversation you could say, (laughs) you could say, Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I just don't know what to say. Can Can I get another crack at this? And you'll find oh, that, I love that in an authentic way, um, you know, not all the time, but most of the time it humanizes you and people are receptive to, you know, giving you another chance. Yeah. <laughs> don't be, you don't have to come across as so perfect. Yeah. Oh, that's the other thing too. I, this mindset around like, what is the value that a sales that you have as a sales professional and it's not that you know more than the person that you're talking to. Cause there's like this almost like status thing. I've heard people talk about where they want to be above the prospect. I'm like, I don't really think it's that. I think you're coming in more as a peer and you happen to know a lot about a very particular area of their business. So there's no pressure. Like you're just asking if you can share some stuff that might be helpful for that for them and they have to be open to that. And if they're not, it's not that big of a deal, but that's the value that you offer. You bring up a good point. You have to have a point of view. Yeah. You have to kind of come in from an outbound perspective. I call it like Steve Jobs. Yeah. Or Jason Freed. Like Steve Jobs had a point of view. You know, the problem with all these smartphones is they're not that smart. It's got these keys that never move. You got to have a strong point of view about how they're getting the job done today relative to how they could be getting it done in a way that's going to help them be more of a badass. You know, Jason Freed over at Basecamp just released a new email product called Hey. And if you go read his sales page, it's a textbook example of him picking a fight with Gmail and Yahoo. Yep. Now, he used to, love, used to love getting email. He used to look forward to it. But somewhere along the way, he started getting email from people he didn't know. And email became a chore. Well, the magic is still in there. It's just hidden. Like, that's picking a fight. Elon Musk just did this in his last speech when he was talking about the electric truck. And you saw, it's a great visual, him actually 
or pulling the Ford 150 with the electric truck. Like yeah. that's a strong point of view. And that's what you need from an outbound perspective. You can't get on a discovery call and start asking people a bunch of questions. You got to have a point of view on an outbound. Yeah. You got you to gotta punch something in the face. Again, we're way off topic here, but it does kind of relate. If, if you're getting a lot of objections, you got to kind of fix the problem first. And the problem usually is you're not talking about a problem that's intense and frequent and you don't have a strong point of view that's different. I don't want to... Yeah. I don't want my personal trainer asking me what I want to work out on today. I want yep. them saying, Josh, in order for you to cross the finish line, here's kind of the common mistakes people make your age trying to compete in a triathlon. And here's what I'm going to recommend that's different and why. Yeah. I mean, imagine going to a stand up. This is something I learned during stand up comedy a while ago. Imagine going to a stand up comedy show and the person's asking, What do you guys want to talk about? And they have no opinion on anything. It would be the worst stand-up set you've ever seen in your life. Um, hey, we're out of time, dude. This <laughs> this flew by super fast, Josh. Um, where where should people go to connect with you? I, I'm going to link up to like your LinkedIn and the B2B Badass Sales Guide. But what else? What do you want people to do to connect with you and follow you? And and where can they get more of your stuff? Yeah, LinkedIn's the best place. And then if you go to joshbron.com, you'll see a link to the Badass B2B Growth Guide. It's got a lot of these objections kind of scripted out that you can play, uh, that you can rehearse and get your reps in as well as some other material to help you start conversations with people you want to get in front of. That was a fun one. Mirroring labeling. Those are my two biggest takeaways from this and from never split the difference, being able to mirror when the situation is, you know, granted, of course, right. Repeating back the last two or three words that the prospect mentions and then labeling sounds like this looks like this feels like this and really trusting your gut and not being assumptive about what they're feeling, but really trusting your gut on, on just what, what you think is going on. Labeling, that's such a such an important thing, not only with prospecting, but with selling too. So those are my big takeaways. Make sure to check out, uh, if you want to check out the video version of this or check out some of the other speakers live and free on the Think Outside the Script Summer Virtual Tour, we're talking all about cold prospecting. So cold emailing, objection handling, cold calling, LinkedIn, personal branding, etc. Make sure to check that out at tour.blissfulprospecting.com. It's linked up right in the show notes there on your phone or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And we'll see you next time.